0: Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Let me go ahead and invite you to turn in your Bibles to James chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. James chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. My brethren... If any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he, has, he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's bow together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truths of your word. We pray, Holy Spirit, to open our hearts and minds to these truths that, that we can apply them and to see how, how important they are for us to live out. Lord, thank you for this book of James as we are now completing this study. Lord, help us to understand all that it means for us to live out our faith. Lord, guide us in our study and our application of your word so that when we leave this place, we will know that we're being filled by your spirit and led by you to do your good and acceptable and perfect will in this world around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. James kind of ends on a little bit of a difficult passage. It can be interpreted a number of different ways. When it talks about turning a sinner's soul from death, that's salvation. Because if you're already saved, then you cannot lose your salvation and your soul is not in danger of death. And so when we look at this passage of Scripture, we we really need to go back and look at James as a whole. James has been teaching us how to live out our faith. And at the conclusion of my message, I basically plan to kind of share a synopsis of how we actually do that. But basically what we're looking at is that James, who was a half-brother of Jesus, he was known as being the, the head or the, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, he was not a believer until Jesus' resurrection. And then he understood that he truly was God's Messiah. And it was at that point that James surrendered to his own half brother as his Lord and Savior. And it changed his life, and he began to minister in the name of God. And here we have his words showing us how we ought to live our faith. And James, even though it's written 2,000 years ago, is just as important and just as real for us today. And he closes with the understanding that, you know, there are some among you that are not. Children of God. Now in a smaller congregation like this, we kind of know the heart and the life of each person, and, and we kind of have this understanding of their relationship with the Lord. But the larger the congregation, the harder it is to understand the true heart of the worshiper. Now, I, dare, <coughs> Chief, I dare say that there are many congregations that have many in their attendance. They're not true Christians. They're there for whatever reason. Some are there to be seen and heard because they're politicians, they're salesmen, and they want to make contacts. Let's just be honest. That's why some people go to church. There are some there because they like the feeling of the congregation being a part of something. There are a lot of people that come to church thinking that they have salvation because when they were eight or nine years old, and they were in vacation Bible school, and the pastor said, do you want to go to heaven or to hell? They said, I want to go to heaven. Well, if you want to go to heaven, you, you raise your hand, and you pray this prayer after me, and then you're going to go to heaven. And they based their entire relationship with Christ over a simple prayer that they prayed, but they never grew from it. They never matured as a child of God. They had a, an inkling of what it meant to be a Christian, but they never really truly became one. They simply prayed a prayer, repeated a prayer that someone else told them to pray. So we have a lot of people in our churches today that are not truly a child of God. And I think James saw that. Many of the early churches saw that. And let's just be honest. There are those among us who are children of God that we stray from the truth. We don't always live a way that honors God. If we're not careful and we don't make sure that we have that intimate time with God each day in prayer, if we're not spending time in His Word, gleaning from His truth, allowing Him to show us how we ought to live, it's easy for our love for Christ to wane. And then it's easy for us to be tempted and to be taken away from the truth. And to begin living a lifestyle that's not the way god wants us to live and so we have to be careful when we look at the people in our churches we need to understand those who are not living a godly lifestyle are in two groups they are either christians who are we use old term backslidden they have fallen away from the faith they've allowed The ways of the world to infiltrate their thoughts and their lives. And they're just simply not living in obedience to the Lord. And they need that gentle encouragement. They need somebody to come alongside of them and to point out what's going on in their life and how it's affecting not only their life, but also the life of the church. And then there's the others in the church that they may believe that they're a Christian or they know that they're not, but they just like to attend for whatever reason. And you know, they have the Sunday school answers while they're here. They sing the songs, they bow their head in prayer. They listen to the messages, but as soon as they walk out the door, their Christianity was left behind or what they thought was Christianity. And they just live their life on their own means. They do what they want to do by their own desires. And God's not a part of their life. Unless a tragedy happens and they say, God, help me. So we look and we see that James is really dealing with those who are strayed from the faith. Either those who are Christians, who are not living up to God's commandments. They're living in disobedience. But more likely, those who are among them that are lost. Now, what we're going to find out is that how do you deal with them It's the same. So we're going to look at this. You know, even sinners, saved by grace, need a reaffirming of what God wants to do in their life. So we look at this phrase, stray from the faith, and you see the two sides of the same coin. Those in the church that are Christians, that are, for whatever reason, falling away from their Christianity, They're not living according to God's will for their lives. And then the others who don't truly have a right relationship with the Lord. And it says to turn them back. Well, you think, well, that's talking about Christians because only Christians can be turned back to what they left. Well, really what it's saying is that there are many in the churches that understand what Christianity is about because they hear about it. They've been presented with the gospel and they are probably moving towards faith. But then they have the setback. Something happens in their life, and they say, well, God didn't take care of this the way I expected him to. And so they start falling away from that faith, and they need to be drawn back so that they can continue to move towards faith, towards salvation. And so we look and we see that there are many who stray from the faith. Can we be honest? We've all done it. Each and every one of us has strayed from the faith sometime in our lives. You may be going through a time right now where you are struggling with your faith. You're struggling with your individual, intimate relationship with Almighty God. And you're, you know what's right, but to do what is right is not always easy. And so we need to understand that we need to be drawn back. And we look at this passage of Scripture, and he begins by using the term, my brethren. So he's talking, he's addressing the true Christians within the congregation. He's saying, my brethren, brothers, sisters in Christ, the same brothers and sisters in Christ that are universal the world over. See, brothers and sisters in Christ are not just the people who are sitting in the pews beside you. They're the Christians throughout the world. And so this message is for all Christians. And so he's saying, any who stray from the truth. James is drawing his attention to the people, the Christians that, you know, You need to be looking around you, examining how other people are living out their faith. Are they living out their faith? Are they living in such a way that truly brings honor and glory to God? Or are they living in opposition to God? Now, the question is, who is worthy to do this? Well, hopefully we all are. But it means that we need to have this intimate time with God in our own lives so that we can grow closer to the Lord so that His Holy Spirit is guiding us in what we say and what we do, what we think, what we desire. But we look and we see that James is telling us we as brothers and sisters in Christ, those who are mature Christians, we need to be looking and seeing the opportunities to encourage others in our congregations and in our communities. And so here's what he's basically saying we need to go to those who are struggling with their faith, whether they're a Christian who are, for whatever reason, their faith is weak and they're struggling to follow the, the, the path of righteousness, or if they claim to be a Christian, but they're not living for Christ, or if they're obviously not a Christian, but are a part of your community where you have an opportunity to help them to get to salvation. Well, the way that we deal with each of those is basically the same. We somewhat treat them as if they're not a Christian, and we do that in a humble way. Let me just share with you what Matthew uh, what Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17 says. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, then let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. So we look and what we hear in Matthew is that, those who are living against God, whether a Christian, a non-Christian, somebody that you know, and especially those who are a part of a congregation, but yet they're not a true Christian, what we need to do is say, we've got to deal with this. I've got to deal with this. God has put it on my heart to go to a person and to help them deal with the sin that is in their life. Now, we're not talking about a one-time sin where somebody commits a sin and they, they feel the conviction, they confess it, and they are restored in the Lord. That's taken care of. It's really seeing a person who is living a lifestyle of disobedience to God because you're seeing that they're either a Christian who's fallen away from the faith They're a non-Christian who maybe thinks that they're heading towards Christ, but they're lost. Either way, we need to go to them. Notice what this passage of Scripture tells us to do. Go to them first in private, one-on-one. Well, how do we do that? Do we go in with a Bible in our hand and hit them over the head and saying, God says you're a sinner and you're going to hell. You think that's going to win anybody? Doubt it. I believe there's a much better way. Throughout the Word of God, He tells us to be humble. Have loving hearts. Hearts of compassion. Tenderness. I believe that I've had much more success first of all going to that person, admitting my own faults, admitting that I'm a sinner, that I struggle with sin in my own life. And I share that when I do sin, and I do sin, that I feel the conviction of God's Spirit in my life. When that conviction comes, I know that I have done something wrong in God's eyes. And because of that conviction, I want to confess it, and to repent of it, to turn away from that so that it will no longer be a part of my life. And as I do that, God, through His love and His mercy, is willing to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me of that unrighteousness. Then and only then will I share with them, I'm seeing that you're struggling with sin in your life as well. And I'd like to be here for you, to pray with you, to encourage you, To guide you in the right path. Do you believe that God might just honor that? I think he will. (laughs) Do you think that might open up the doors for the person who is caught in sin, that is a habitual lifestyle that they may say, you know, he's not holier than thou. He's not saying that he's perfect. No. He's just like me. He's admitting he has the same temptations, the same struggles that I do. I think I might can learn something from him or her. So we need to approach them in private, one-on-one, not airing dirty laundry out for all to hear, not talking to everybody else about what this person's doing, but feeling conviction in our own hearts to go to this person and in a heart of humility, love, and compassion to share with them the same struggles that you know that you've already shared and struggled with in your own life. And prayerfully the Holy Spirit will reach into their heart and help them to to melt and to understand that yes this is a problem I need help and as their heart opens up then you will have the opportunity to share with them how you can have this strength to overcome the temptations in life and you begin to share the gospel you begin to share how God in his mercy came and sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. And it's only through Jesus and his power of salvation that we can overcome the penalty of our sin, which is death. It is only through Jesus who raised from the dead that he has given us this gift of eternal life. And so by doing that, it opens up the door for somebody to accept this gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the same is, happens If this person truly is a Christian but is falling by the wayside, they are for whatever reason, they have gotten out of God's will. You go to them admitting your own sinfulness, your own struggles, and you help them to understand that they're going through that similar struggle with their own sin. Same process, the same humility, the same love and compassion is needed one-on-one to help this person to come to grips with where they are in their walk with Christ. And so if the one-on-one does not work, at least you've opened up the door and you've left it in a humble way, in a, in a way of love and compassion, and then you pray and ask God, are there others that sense this same need, and if you find one or two others that agree with you that, that what this person is doing needs to be addressed, and y'all pray together and you make sure that your hearts are right with the Lord, and then two or three go together and do the same thing. What happens when two more people come along with the first person? Well, first of all, it says, okay, my lifestyle is not just one person seeing it. There are others that recognize that I'm having a problem. Folks, it's kind of called intervention. It happens when people are alcoholics or drug addicts and a loved one wants to see if they can help. That loved one goes one-on-one and if that person rejects their their desire to see them go into some type of rehab, then you take two or three others with you and they together show this is more of a problem than you think. More than just this one person understands that there's a problem. So by adding another person or two as a witness, hopefully this person will understand that there is truly something going on that others are aware of, and I need to do something about it. And then through the counsel, through the prayers, through the encouragement of these who come, they'll be led either to the Lord or back to restoration in their relationship with the Lord. If they refuse then, then you bring it to the church. the church, there is a need that we see in the life of an individual, and we want you to pray with us for this person. And as it becomes known that the church is praying, if they reject that, then they really don't want anything to do with God. And then First John chapter 2, verse 19 kind of gives us the understanding of what takes place. If they've gone through that process, and they says, I don't want anything to do with this, here's basically what it says. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they were not of us. So a person is either going to be convicted by this type of method of reaching out to them with love, humility, compassion, and they're going to be restored or they're going to come to salvation. Or they're going to realize, you know, Christianity is not what I want, and maybe I was faking it, maybe I was, you know, acting like I was a Christian, or whatever it may have been, just so that I could be a, a part of this congregation for whatever reasons, and that's not for me. And so they leave. Obviously, what we see is that they're lost, and they want to be lost, because You've allowed God to use you through the Holy Spirit to present to them the gospel of salvation with love, compassion, humility. If they don't receive that, then they have chosen to reject it. So we are to go to the one who is stray, whether a child of God or whether someone who is lost. And it says, in the latter part of verse 20 middle part of verse 20, that we will save their soul from death. Number one, I cannot save a single person. You cannot either. But God can use us to go to this person to share the gift of salvation, to share where they are spiritually, and to pray with them and pray for them and to guide them and encourage them. And prayerfully, the end result is that the Holy Spirit will work in their hearts to bring them either back into the right relationship with the Lord, restoration, or to bring them to the gift of salvation. If they are lost and they receive that gift of salvation, then we are used by His Spirit to save their soul from death. Now, if He had left that word soul out, we could have easily said, well, this may be a Christian because we saved them from death because we do know that Christians can sin to the point that God will take them out of this place. I've shared it quite a bit, uh, I think, through the book of James, but there's a passage in 1 Corinthians that deals with the Lord's Supper. It says that we are not to partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Since some of you have been doing this, that is why many of you are sick and sleep. The word sleep means death, that God is bringing his wrath upon those who are proclaiming to be children of God, going through the motions of taking and partaking of the Lord's Supper, which is a way of remembering what Jesus did on the cross for us to save us from our sins. If we do that in an unworthy manner with unconfessed sin, God is saying, I will not tolerate that. I'll bring sickness and even death upon those. So we could easily say that we're saving a person from death, as a child of God. But when it says saving the soul from death, it's really talking about the spirit that lives within us, that eternal part of us that's either going to live for eternity in heaven or hell. And so if we save that soul from death, that means that they come to salvation in Christ Jesus. So we look and we see that people are either a child of God struggling with sin, or they try to be a part of a family of God, but they're lost, or they may be somebody that you have built a relationship in the community and you're realizing that they know that you're a Christian, they understand what Christianity is somewhat about, but they are still lost. And they're still on that fence, what we call, you know, they know what they need to do, they know that they need to surrender their life to Jesus as Savior and Lord, but they want to continue to live in the world and live by their own means. And so it may be that we're to that point where we need to say, I need to sit down with you. We need to have a heart-to-heart and our love and compassion. I want to share with you where you are in life in God's eyes. And so I believe that what James is doing here. He's saying if we truly want to live out our life, live out our faith each and every day, this is a part of it that God wants to use us to minister to the needs of others in whatever ways that he leads us, especially when it comes to spirituality, when it comes to our relationship with him. When we see a brother or sister in Christ who is a Christian, and they're struggling with a lifestyle that's sinful, we need to pray, God, am I the person? Do I have the right heart, compassion, and love, and humility to go to this person? Will you, through your spirit, be the one who speaks to me and speaks through me to them? If so, Lord, then use me in this way. Lord, do I need to go with someone else to help this this process take place? But Lord, it's not me. It's not us going, it is you using us as your instruments to share this gospel message, to share this way of salvation or restoration. And when we do that, God can use us to bring salvation or restoration. And it says, and will cover a multitude of sin. What's that mean? Well, instead of this person continuing in their negative, disobedient lifestyle against God, you're erasing what would happen by helping them to come to salvation or restoration to the Lord. So that ungodly lifestyle will no longer exist. It will no longer continue. The sins will no longer continue to happen They will be restored or saved, and they will have a right relationship with the Lord. So a multitude of sins will be wiped away. Isn't that what the church is all about? To be a change agent in the world around us? That's what we need to be about. Now, who do we need to go to? Well, you may have a family member that's struggling, and you need to go to them. You have, might have a good friend that's struggling and you need to go to them. There may be somebody in the community that you've become friends with and you know that they're kind of on that fence where they, they know what they need to do to receive salvation, but they're still being drawn back into the world and you know that they need that extra little help to make that choice to surrender to the Lordship of Christ. And so, this act of reconciliation can truly cover a multitude of sins. For their sins will be forgiven, their unrighteousness will be cleansed away. That's what the life of Christianity is all about. Well, we've dealt with this wonderful book of James. So let me do just kind of a quick overview of what we should have learned from this powerful book. First, we learn patience as we face the testing and the trials of life, learning that we need to turn to God for wisdom and guidance. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you face these diverse trials. And if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who will give it to them freely without reproach. That's the first part, learning that we will face trials in life and that when we do, we need to turn to God for wisdom and guidance. Well, how about temptations? We learn to depend on the powerful presence of God living in us and through us to enable us to overcome the temptations that come our way. We look and we see that 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 tells us that there is no temptation but such as common to God and that God is faithful and will, with the temptation, give us a way of escape. He is our strength. He is the one and the only one who can enable us to overcome all temptation. Then we learn to find true joy by obeying God instead of just being hearers only. You know, folks, right now you're being a hearer of the word. What you do after you walk out these doors becomes whether you're just a hearer of the word or an obeyer of the word. Are you applying what you hear from this pulpit? Are you applying what you read and study and meditate on on a daily basis to your life? So be a a doer instead of just a hearer only. Then we dealt with prejudices and biases. No place in the life of a Christian to be prejudiced or biased towards others in any regard Then he talked about the tongue, that we need to learn how to tame and control our tongue. Basically, whatever comes out of our mouth really comes from our heart. So we need to first control the heart by surrendering it to the Lord, and then what comes out of our mouth should be well controlled by Him. We learned the importance of becoming a peacemaker instead of a troublemaker. We learned that we need to strive to be a friend of God instead of friends with the world. We learn that we must always allow God, the Lord, to be an active part in how we set our plans for the day. If you remember, we talked about how easy it is for us to get up and just kind of set in motion what we want to accomplish today instead of saying, Lord, is there something that you want me to do? How do you want me to fulfill your will through this day? And then we need to also learn that what we have is not really ours. We're just simply stewards of what God has given us. So we do not need to be selfish, but compassionate with our possessions, helping those in need along the way. We need to trust God to always provide for our needs as we try to provide for the needs of others around us. So let me kind of close by asking a few questions. And I'm asking them to myself, as much as I am you, am I dependent on the power of prayer in my life, whether I find myself in trouble or not? In other words, in any situation, is prayer important to me? Do I crave that intimate time of prayer with God? Well, if so, do others see me as a person of prayer? Does somebody come up to you and say, I know you're a person of prayer. Will you pray for me in this situation? That's a good way to know if if people know that you're a person of prayer. What is my attitude towards those who are obviously wandering from the faith? That's what we just dealt with today. Do I criticize or gossip? Or do I seek to restore in the spirit of love, humility, patience, and compassion? That's the difference between being a holier-than-thou or a servant of God. You remember, how many, how many times did Jesus say, if you want to be great, be the least? He says, don't go and sit at the head of the table, you may be told to move. Go and sit at the foot of the table. Be the servant of all if you want to be my disciples. As we close today, let us surrender anew to allowing God to work in us and through us so that we may truly live out the faith he's given us. Let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, open our hearts to your truths today. Thank you for providing us with these truths through your servant James. Lord, that he has given us challenges of how we ought to live out our faith in so many areas. Lord, whether it's the trials that we face, the the heartaches, whatever may come our way, that we need to always turn to you for wisdom and guidance, that you are our strength to overcome the temptations that we'll face each and every day, whether it's from ourselves, that lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, or if it's the temptation from Satan and his demonic forces, or whatever it is, you are our strength to overcome. And Lord, no matter who we see, Lord, no one is greater than anyone else. So let us take away any prejudices or biases and just show love one towards another regardless of who the other person is. Lord, may we also live with compassion for the needs of others. For when they have needs and you have given us the ability to meet those needs, then Lord, show us the way. Just use us as your instruments of ministry. And Lord, when we see others struggling with their faith, First of all, Lord, help us to make sure that our faith is strong, that we are in a right relationship with you. Then, Lord, we pray that you will use us in whatever way you desire to go to the one who's struggling, to be the, the message of encouragement, to be the one who will help guide them back to the faith or to lead them to salvation. Lord, may we be your instruments. May we be your hands and feet and your voice in this world around us so that as we live out our faith, it will impact those around us and bring salvation and, Lord, restoration. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.